And I think that for any business, that's so crucial. It's not you, it's not me, it's us. So how can I help you? Because at the end of the day, your success becomes my success, becomes our success. And that's how you magnify and take your organization to the next level. Welcome to Real Leadership, the podcast that cuts through the noise to focus on leaders who make, move, and process things in the real economy. Together, we'll discover the strategies and hard-earned lessons from pragmatic, gutsy leaders who operate in a world that is more stake than it is sizzle. Right here, we dive into their stories, challenges, and triumphs to go beneath the surface to the very heart of leadership in the real economy. I'm your host, Jim Weaver, Chief Operating Officer of The Owning Group, where we believe that real leadership does indeed matter. Let's go. I am thrilled to introduce Betsy Norton, Chief of Staff at the Airbus U.S. Manufacturing Facility in Mobile, Alabama. Betsy was recently a keynote speaker at the Catalyst Women in Industry Conference, and she's been recognized as a 2022 Woman of Impact by Yellowhammer, and it's no surprise why. Betsy has an impressive track record in economic development, disaster recovery, education, and now in the industrial sphere. Many of you know Airbus as one of the world's largest manufacturers of airliners. The Airbus assembly plant in Mobile plays a key role in their international operation. The Mobile plant is rapidly growing and builds the airline industry's stalwart plane, the A321. As chief of staff, Betsy plays a critical role ensuring the site's VP, GM, and leadership team are executing site priorities. She serves as a focal point for the site's strategic development, implementation, and transformation. Not to mention, Betsy also manages the site project management office staff. So join me in welcoming Betsy Norton to Real Leadership. Welcome, Betsy. Well, thank you so much, Jim. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. We got a lot of ground to cover. Airbus is a fascinating company, and uh, you you have a, f- a fascinating story. So, if you don't mind, let's start um, big picture. And if you would, I gave a little context of what Airbus does. But would you would you explain what Airbus does there at the U.S. manufacturing site in Mobile, Alabama? Yeah, sure, I'd be delighted to. So, here at Airbus's U.S. manufacturing site in Mobile, we manufacture two commercial aircraft the A220 and then also the A320 family of aircraft. Our facility and our airplanes are specifically designed to meet the demands for US-based airline customers. And we're delighted to report that our customers are so satisfied with our products that we actually have a five-year backlog on our products. So we've got roughly 750 A320 family aircraft and around 180 A220 aircraft yet to deliver over the course of the next few years. Um, So let me tell you a little bit about our aircraft. The A320 family of airplanes is the undisputed leader in the single aisle category. And it's the aircraft of choice for airlines all over the world, from your low cost operators to your mainline carriers. It's like the Swiss army knife of airplanes, Jim. It can be used for a wide range of services from very short haul airline routes to intercontinental connections. And it generally seats anywhere from 125 to 240 passengers, depending upon the aircraft version 
version, and then also your customer specifications. Uh, the A220 is our newest, most fuel-efficient aircraft, and it provides loads of environmental uh, benefits, a reduced fuel burn, and also exceptionally low noise levels. So it combines state-of-the-art aerodynamics, it uses advanced materials, and includes the latest generation technologies and engines. These aircraft are generally used for short to medium haul domestic routes, and it can hold between 108 to 160 passengers. So, and they're both about the same size. They are. Plane, they right? are. The 220 is a little bit smaller, um, and, okay. and the 320, uh, like I said, is is a little bit larger. But they are both single aisle. So whenever you walk into gotcha. the airplane, that means that you know you're going to have seats on the right hand side and the left hand side, and just one single aisle in the middle. Um, so gotcha. now let's talk about how it's made because I think that this is really cool. Uh, I like to equate it to really large Lego pieces. So pieces mm. of the aircraft are imported from across the globe. So when we say that Airbus is truly a global company, we aren't just saying it. It, it really is. The fuselages are shipped from France and Germany. The wings come from the United Kingdom. Okay. And the horizontal and vertical stabilizers or the tail pieces, as, uh, mm-hmm. as most folks know it. Uh, come to us from Spain and Germany. So every 21 days, uh, these aircraft pieces are loaded onto a very large barge from Saint-Nazaire, France, and they travel all the way to Mobile, Alabama, where they're unloaded at the port of Mobile, and they're transported four miles down the road to our facility. So this barge, I mean, it's just massive, Jim. It can hold composite materials for four aircraft at a time. And so once it gets to our site, we perform inventory, on all the materials and then it begins the actual assembly process. So each aircraft flows through the assembly line by moving from one workstation to the next and so therefore we call this the flow line. So once the aircraft is fully assembled, we send it to the flight line where they perform a variety of tests and checks. We have Airbus pilots and customer pilots who take it for a test drive and then we perform a transfer of title with our customers just like you do when you purchase a car. How long does that process take from when you you get the parts to when you've you've completed the aircraft? You know, typically? it it depends on the customer specifications. It depends mm-hmm. on um, if it's a two twenty or a three twenty, um, and if there's any kind of um, you know supply chain issues or whatnot. But give or take mm-hmm. a month. A month. Yep. Okay. Yep. Wow. Wow. I, I've been inside. I hadn't been inside that plant, but I've been inside these airplane manufacturing facilities they are the most impressive thing that you've ever seen it is breathtaking it's it's just remarkable i mean i work here every day and it still just takes my breath away every time i walk through the hangar door yeah yeah so you you guys are expanding big time we are down there mobile right we are tell us about that yeah so airbus's latest expansion project is actually going to add a third final assembly line at our site in order to help increase our production of the a320 family of aircraft and and help us uh whittle down that large backlog that i mentioned earlier so since Mm -hmm. our expansion was announced last may of 2022 we've already hired around 400 new employees and we're going to add another 600 by the end of 2025. 
So, uh, but it's not just a, a new hangar. In addition to the new final assembly line, we're also constructing additional paint buildings, gauging canopies, final phase hangers, parking lots for all of our new employees, and we're expanding our delivery center uh, in order to meet the, the delivery needs of our airline customers. So in yeah. order to achieve all of these massive hiring goals, we've collaborated with a variety of workforce development partners to create brand new workforce training programs and education curriculums for secondary school students. Um, our Flight mm. Path 9 Early Career Program is a 10-week fast-paced program uh, with our partners at Bishop State Community College. So participants will earn 18 college credits and earn multiple industry-recognized certifications. So after their oh, graduation, great. yeah, it is it's really transformative uh, these students will become full-time apprentices so they'll take an additional 12 weeks of training before being placed with a mentor for a 48 week on the job training on the a220 or a320 program Wow. We also have a Flight Path 9 program uh, that's specifically designed for high school seniors as well in the Mobile community who desire to work for Airbus. So they'll take evening classes their senior year, and upon graduation, they too become enrolled in our apprenticeship program. Uh, and then finally, we've got the We Build It Better program, and this is a truly innovative curriculum for middle school students that provides mm. classroom kits with interactive activities that teach students fundamental skills that they'll need one day to work in the aviation industry, such as measuring with a ruler or manipulating fractions, the basics of roboting and coding skills as well. So we're very wow. proud of the, the variety of the workforce development programs that we've created, uh, and it's really going to help us uh, meet our ramp-up targets, and we're delighted to have such a positive impact on the Gulf Coast residents, not only now, but really for generations to come. Yeah, yeah, the ripple effect of that is so huge. Um, economically and just in the lives of young people that have that kind of path, we call them new collar jobs. You know, they're not quite blue collar, they're not quite white, but they're extremely skilled and high demand and it's that's, that's so great you guys are doing that. So making airplanes is high dollar, complex, high stakes, it's high stakes business to be in. What does a chief of staff do at Airbus? So the chief of staff role is actually pretty historic, uh, but it's been recently made known through movies or TV shows uh, involving US presidents, like be it my personal right. favorite, The West Wing, or more recently, mm -hmm. House of Cards. But I can assure you and your listeners that I promise I don't go around killing anybody like Doug does in House of Cards. Um, but in all seriousness, I recently obtained my international chief of staff certification from Oxford University in England, so I'm happy to to shed a little bit more light on what the role entails. Um, in my chief of staff role here at Airbus, I spend a majority of my time serving as a centralized hub of information, both internally within my site, but then also externally across Airbus in the region. Um, I also serve as an external face for Airbus in the greater Mobile community and across mm -hmm. the state of Alabama. So if you were to look at my job description, you'd see that I have a whole host of responsibilities. Uh, I oversee all performance reporting from determining the best KPIs to deciding how they're measured and how they're stored and then how they're reported out to our various stakeholders. Uh, I'm also responsible for indirectly orchestrating uh, the site senior leadership team. 
Uh, I, I organize and facilitate weekly staff meetings and quarterly offsite retreats that really help our team to build trust with one another and to also foster a sense of family amongst our leadership team, which is hmm. crucially important. Uh, I also organize and drive various projects and initiatives at multiple levels, both at the site level and across the region. And then finally, I really serve as the chief connector for a multitude of stakeholders. I hear and see everything that goes on at my site. Uh, I act as a filter and communicate only the most salient points to my principal, our, our vice president and general manager, um, and inform yeah. him of the things that he needs to be informed of. Um, mm. But then also I use my diplomacy and people skills to indirectly manage and persuade and facilitate positive yeah. outcomes. So that's that's my job in a nutshell. There's never a dull moment, that's for sure. But I love what I do and I wouldn't change it for anything. You've got such an interesting resume, uh, economic development, disaster recovery, high school economics teacher. How did you, well, now you're in the industrial sphere. So how did you land this role? Yeah, it's uh, it's a funny story. Um, so if you do look at my resume, you'll see that I have worked in a variety of industries and lots of different roles, but there are definitely some common elements and skill sets that I've used in each. So uh, to backtrack to 2005, uh, while attending grad school at Georgia Tech, Hurricane Katrina devastated my home state of Louisiana. So following graduation, I, I moved home and I worked in management consulting for a few years doing hurricane recovery and disaster work. Uh, then I went to go work for the Gentle Administration, where I served as Chief of Staff for the Louisiana Department of Economic Development and then the Louisiana Community and Technical College System. And uh, I did that for a while, and then uh, my family moved to Texas for my husband's career. And I had mm -hmm. uh, very young sons at the time, so I decided to become um, a high school social studies teacher. And I've always loved economics, and so I became a high school economics teacher to align with my young son's school schedules. Um, and then when we moved to South Alabama in 2018, I decided to put my project management certification to good use by coming to work for Airbus. And so here I am. Um, but in all of these different roles, uh, I think that they all share a couple of common characteristics. Mm -hmm. uh, in order to be successful, they require somebody with a high level of emotional intelligence, uh, somebody who has a very positive attitude and abundant energy. So I'm a self-described mm -hmm. people person who's never met a stranger, just ask any stranger in the grocery store. Um, and so I just, I mean, candidly, this is one of my superpowers. I'm, I'm also incredibly organized. Uh, I think the ability to juggle multiple projects simultaneously uh, and ensure that they're executed within their constraints is another requisite yeah. skill for success. Uh, and then finally, I'm a strong storyteller. So it didn't matter if I was planning an economics lesson for 17-year-olds or presenting a new idea in front of a room of Airbus executives. I know how to synthesize information and communicate it in a way that's easily understood and also relatable. And that's really important in today's society. So, um, yeah, yeah. and then also I, I love to laugh. So I think that that really helps too. That helps. That's kind of the secret sauce, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it would seem, or you mentioned it actually, you have to do a lot of leading without, quote, authority. 
Um, you have to move large numbers of people that don't actually report to you. And, and in my mind, that is real leadership. If you can lead without the titles that says that that person has to listen to you, that is, um, that's tough to do. Do you think the ability to lead others is innate or is it a, is it a learned behavior? Honestly, I think it's a combination of both because one of the chief characteristics of a leader is the ability to be brave and courageous, right? Uh, I love Teddy Roosevelt's quote, you know, the man in the arena. And it's probably mm -hmm. my favorite quote because it sums up so perfectly the sacrifice that one has to make in becoming a leader. So the sweat and the tears and the humiliation of it all, but it also describes the highs, right? The triumph of victory mm -hmm. um, and the self-satisfaction of dedicating yourself to a worthy cause, regardless if you win or if you lose. Um, look, I mean, being a leader is hard. Uh, you expose yourself. Right, and most people simply aren't comfortable with that level of vulnerability. I mean, I don't, I don't blame them. Um, I hate admitting to myself when I make a mistake. I especially hate admitting to my husband when I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> but having to admit your failure to the public or, or even your entire organization, um, that takes real courage. Uh, and most people just really are, are not willing to, to go there. Um, you, yeah. you can't teach bravery, right? You can mm. encourage it, you can aspire to have it, but at the end of the day, either you've got it or you don't. So in this respect, I think that leadership is a virtue that you're kind of born with. Um, mm. But if you are a leader and you know it in your heart, um, I think that you can learn to be great. Uh, I encourage all leaders to constantly educate themselves on how to be better, right? Read books, listen to podcasts, take a management mm -hmm. class, seek a mentor, um, and ideally find someone to model your management style after and, and copy paste and, and duplicate it, but make it your own. I was really lucky and fortunate to have a, an uncle who was an exceptional leader. He was like a godfather mm. to me. Um, he actually founded the largest corporate law firm in the state of Louisiana. And so I got a chance to witness firsthand how he treated his fellow partners, his junior associates, and even his administrative staff from, from a pretty early age. Uh, he was He's an old school Southern gentleman, um, very Atticus mm. Finch-like. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he believed that you're- I love Atticus oh, Finch. It's the best. Um, but he believed that your work associates were like your family. Now, he had very high expectations, right? I mean, he almost demanded perfection from himself and from everybody else. But, but I also think that those high expectations were, were what made him and his colleagues and his firm, in fact, the very best. So I employ leadership skills that I learned from Uncle Ben every single day. And I count myself really fortunate to have had the opportunity to, to see that, that leadership firsthand. Finding experienced, vetted aerospace contract workers ready to work with highly specialized skill sets isn't easy. Onan Aerospace can help with a wide pool of the best talent, attracted through our superior benefits. To learn more, visit onanaerospace.com. So what's one trait, you know, you work with 
a lot of people. What's one trait that you wish you could instill in, in every employee? Oh gosh. Manners, customer service Manners. skills. I mean, <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but let me walk you through why I say that. You know, maybe mm-hmm. it's because I'm Southern uh, and employing hospitality and kindness are ingrained virtues that every Southern mama instills in her children. But I really mm-hmm. think that that courtesy is a lost cultural value across America these days. Mm-hmm. I think that, that we as a society have kind of taken a step back and reverted to almost like a tribalistic culture where we really only want to associate with those who think or look or act like us. And we've come to devalue the thoughts and perspectives and cultures and humanism, really, of those who we don't look like and, and share the same thoughts and beliefs. Um, the Greeks were the, the ones who first taught us about the importance of, of hospitality, right? So like Zeus and Dionysus, they valued this characteristic above all others. For the ability to be kind and, and care for strangers, it creates bonds and, and connectivity and engenders goodwill, not only in the moment, but also for years and even generations to come. And, and I think that we've lost that in today's cultural norms and expectations. But I really earnestly wish that, that we could come to value this virtue once again. You know, the late, the late great Anthony Bourdain had another quote where, um, you know, he, he encouraged people to seek out adventures, right? Culinarily yeah. or otherwise, just to learn from others. And, and I really like that. So um, I don't know, what do I wish that people did more? Be nice, smile. Yeah. Help others if and when you can. Say please and thank you. Small things that, you know, when added up collectively are really big things that matter very much. I, I agree with you 100%. How do you, as you, you, you are a very, with our, based on our interaction, you're a very raw and real person. Mm-hmm. You're not, I think some people when they think courtesy, they think um, kind of whitewashing things and, um, so how do you strike that balance between being courteous, but still being like saying what needs to be said, being being real? Um, how, how do you strike that balance? I think everybody at the end of the day is trying to do the very best that they can, right? Um, and you ha- And it starts by honoring people's humanism. Um, mm. You know, because if you can see people as a human, right, and if you can care about them, and I also think that the ability and the desire to connect with people, um, for me, that's that's job number one. Um, I can't do my job and I can't be successful in my job if I don't connect with people. Um, and so, but then recognizing, you know, and seeing them for who they are, honoring who they are, and then working together to achieve your goal, right? Whatever that is. Um, And just as my uncle had very high expectations, I myself and my leadership team have high expectations. And so, uh, but we have to employ good leadership skills, right? Which again, can be taught, right? To assist others in achieving their goals or performing to the level that it should be. So it's it's holding people accountable but it's also understanding that stuff happens, life happens, right? And, 
and opening up and saying, how can I help you? Right? Because it's not me and it's not you, it's us. And I think that for any business, that's so crucial. It's not you, it's not me, it's us. So how can I help you? Because at the end of the day, your success becomes my success, becomes our success. And that's how you magnify, right? And really, um, and take your organization to the next level. Beautiful. Well said. Um, so success, I have, I've noticed successful people typically also have developed some good habits. Yep. It's, it's kind of a common thread. So what habits have you developed to stay motivated, productive, to show up the way you need to show up consistently? Yeah, no, it's really important. And I'll be the first to admit that I did not write the book on how to be the best version of oneself. So I've had to borrow <laughs> ideas from others. Um, yeah. I think the first thing to do uh, for me, uh, I really had to accept myself for who I am, right? Strengths and weaknesses and foibles and awesomeness and superpowers and all. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm never gonna be the smartest person in the room. There was a time in my life where I aspired to do that, but I, I'm mm-hmm. smart, but I'm, I'm no genius, right? But I can be the kindest person in the room and I can be the hardest worker, right? Um, mm. And so admitting those, those facts to yourself, right, and loving yourself for who God made you to be, right, but then also honoring your authentic self is a crucial first step. So um, in my evolution uh, as a leader, mm-hmm. um, I really had to self-reflect of who I am, right, and who am I not, and stop trying to be the Betsy that I'm not and embrace the Betsy that I am because I don't know I think I've got some pretty good attributes and so if I could just yeah. stay stay true to that uh, the rest will fall into place um, yeah. secondly I also really strongly believe in the importance of exercise um, a few months ago I recently started working out uh, very early in the morning so my alarm clock goes off at 4:30, and I am in the gym exercising at 5 a.m. so I've found a gym that I love Uh, I'm starting to see positive results in my body, which makes me happy. But more importantly, um, I really find that it has been transformational for my work. Um, So I no longer have to have five cups of coffee just to function in the morning. Uh, I'm fully awake and ready to go uh, by the time that I get to work. Uh, And I find, best of all, that the quality of my work has improved dramatically as well. So so that's helped out loads. Um, I also have to stay organized. So I manage my household and my son's constantly changing uh, after school schedule. Uh, My husband travels frequently for work. I travel frequently for work. Um, And so being organized and ensuring that everybody is on the same page and and knowing uh, who was responsible for what when, um, it it helps me to know what to expect, uh, but it also lowers my anxiety levels. And so that's really important. you know, I'll give you an example. I, I love to cook, right? I'm, I'm from Louisiana and that's what we do. We love to cook. It's part of our yeah. Cajun culture. Um, and so you can find me every Sunday afternoon in my kitchen and all of the, the stove burners are on and both ovens are on because I'm cooking four different meals 
for my family to eat throughout the course of the week you know so we've got a chicken dish and a fish dish and a beef dish and whatnot um because i i don't like fast food (laughs) and i don't want to feed it to my sons but it's also very important to me that if i can cook an entire week's worth of meals on sunday right it guarantees the nutrition for my family it guarantees that they have variety um and it also decreases my anxiety so i don't have to come home on a work day and stress out about oh my god what do i want to cook for my family this week right because it's already been handled and so it's a small example um and and people might think that i'm crazy but it works for me um and and it helps me um and my mental health and it helps my family function um and again, that's an example of organization, but it, it works. Um, another thing, I make time to read. I am a voracious reader, except I never sit still, so I listen to books. Um, I love reading yeah. uh, novels. I love reading biographies, um, even self-help books. I just, I, I love to read. I generally read about three or four books a month, um, and and it just brings me so much pleasure. So it's a small thing that I do. I do it for myself, um, but it makes me happy. Uh, and it. What's the best book you read in the last year? Oh gosh, just curious. Uh, anything by Amor Towles. So uh, Lincoln Highway is amazing. Uh, he also wrote uh, A Gentleman in Moscow. Uh, everything that he writes is just fantastic. And then Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr is another exceptional book. So I okay, think they good. both came out last summer, but those are my favorites. They're both incredible authors. If you're getting through 36 a year, roughly, um, your your top list is going to be a good one to check yeah, out. Yeah, but it's so great because yeah. I can listen. I can listen on my commute. I listen while I clean house. I listen while yep. I fold clothes. I listen while I take my dogs for a walk, uh, and it and it makes me happy. And especially if it's uh, a, a nonfiction book, then I feel like I'm learning something new. So I've I've read every Churchill biography. I've read every biography about his wife and his daughters, and it's just and it's fascinating and it brings me joy. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the, I think the last thing that I do, Jim. Uh, to be my most productive self, I make time for friends. Um, As a wife, as a mother, as a business executive, it is so easy for us to find every excuse under the sun Mm. to push off meeting with girlfriends and syncing up but it really is crucial for my mental health uh, for my relationships and and it makes me a happier person just just the ability to gather with a group of friends and somebody say oh my god me too oh there's so much solace in that um and and it's important you know what that one is you know i'm hearing you list out all these things and friends the that is the one that's the easiest to for me to blow off you know think you know get my job and i've got relationships at work so it's kind of like you feel like you have that social box checked in some ways you know spiritual life physical health family and friends it's easy to to let that one drop off i'm i'm with you that's something in the last year i've been committed to doing mm-hmm. Uh, making time for yeah because you're right it's really important but you have to you have to intentionally dedicate yourself to it so i had um 
I'm not usually one for New Year's resolutions, um, but I was this year. Uh, I wanted to get together with a group of women friends here in Mobile. Uh, a lot of us have high-powered jobs, um, and we would see each other occasionally at various events and whatnot, but I, I wanted to deliberately get us together, you know, probably once every two or three months, but just get us in the same room and, and share, you know, our, our triumphs and successes, but then also our challenges um, so that we could, we could be there for one another. And I think for women, especially uh, in business, we don't do that enough. And so I've, I've formed, it's a, it's a very informal uh, organization, but it's called The Table. Uh, I deliberately named it The Table because in my Cajun culture, the kitchen table was where everything was laid bare. It's where you gathered for family meals, and it's where you prayed. It's where you uh, had those hard conversations. Um, and I thought that the table was a beautiful metaphor for what I was hoping and, and striving to do uh, in gathering my group of, there's about 20 of us, uh, and a lot of us wow. are mothers. Um, and like I said, we're, we're all business women, and so we're pulled 10 different ways of Sundays, and so we can't all get yeah. together. But I tell you what, we have gathered together. We're meeting next week, and it's our third time gathering together. And it is so transformative. And I've gotten so many emails from, from these women saying, Betsy, thank you so much for organizing, right? Because again, you, it, it's so easy to, to brush off. So dedicate yourself to getting together with your friends. Um, it's, it's just crucial, and it makes all the difference yeah. to me. Recruiting top talent is tough. Onan Staffing focuses on people, offering exceptional benefits to attract and retain dedicated workers. Partner with us for flexible, data-driven solutions. Visit OnanStaffing.com to learn more. Um, you, you've you started going here. You, you've been a real advocate for women uh, working in manufacturing in, in particular. Um, and you've you've had a lot of success, and I you're you're connected. Sounds like to other other women who have had a lot of success um, in in uh, manufacturing industrial uh, environments that are typically kind of male dominated. So, what do you think it takes for a woman to thrive in in that type of environment? You have to have a sense of humor, and you can't be. <laughs> too sensitive um i grew up I, i'm an only child and and i grew up on a street with 19 boys and so if i wanted friends i had to learn how to throw a spiral and shoot hoops and hit a baseball yeah but i tell you that 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 experience um has impacted me my whole life because it allowed me to understand uh, and get along with men. Um, my mother actually, when I was in college, uh, made me join a sorority so that I would learn how to interact with women. Um, <laughs> I'm serious, and it was great, and I'm so glad that she did that because in a working world and in, in any kind of business environment, but especially in manufacturing, um, the ability to get along with people you know, in both genders is, is so important. Um, and, and so, yeah, so if you want to have a job where you know you're gonna work with guys, it's important to understand guys. They're very candid 
um, sometimes brutally honest. Um, and so if you, if you take yourself too seriously, if you sometimes um, just be real and just know that at the end of the day, everybody is just trying to do the best that, that they can. Um, but yeah, and, and a sense of humor just is, is crucial, I find. Um, but yeah, I like, I like working with guys. I don't mind being the, the only female in a room because uh, I figure if I can make people laugh, uh, my gender doesn't really matter. And I know that I'm gonna, right, right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna deliver the goods and my, my work quality is gonna be outstanding. And so my gender doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah, awesome. But I will say also that um, I didn't have a lot of female support coming along earlier in my career. Mm. And so now that I'm mid-career, I think I deliberately go out of my way to engage in activities and to be supportive of those younger females um, because they need cheerleaders too. And I don't want them to make some of the mistakes that I have made along the way. Um, so I'm happy to serve as a mentor and provide advice and just be their cheerleader in their corner, uh, promoting them, encouraging them, helping to educate them, uh, because I think that that's, that's crucial as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's rare to find people out, like, uh, out there like that. And that's, uh, that's, that's great you're doing it. So how can people... Um uh, we, we will put in the show notes, uh, you know, links to Airbus. Um, if people are wondering about opportunities at Airbus, what's the best place for them to go and find out about that? Go to airbusalabama.com. Okay. So if you go there, um, that is our website where we have all of the different workforce development programs that, uh, mm. that I mentioned. Um, it also has a listing of all of our jobs. Uh, it provides a host of different links to um, you know, news, news alerts and, and various articles. Uh, so that's gonna be a great resource for your listeners. Okay, and we'll promote this on on LinkedIn uh, pretty heavily uh, with you personally. So if um, if anyone wants to try to reach out to you, that's probably the best best platform. Is that is that right? Or yep. would you suggest yep. something? Okay, yep, that's good. Very good. Well, hey, I've really enjoyed it, Betsy. Thanks, Jim. Congratulations. I appreciate it. On, Thank you so much yeah, for having me. Yeah, all the all the success there, and and uh, I'm sure it's nothing but blue skies ahead for you. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's going to be a doozy of the next two years with all of this construction, but, but we'll get there and, and yeah. it'll be nice to stand at the top of that mountain. Yeah, and then look for the next one, right? <laughs> Always. <laughs> <laughs> That's what mountain climbers do. Okay, thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you for listening. This podcast was powered by Onan, a family of staffing companies providing real staffing solutions to manufacturing, logistics, and food processing companies across the United States of America. To get in touch or learn more about partnering with an Onan Group company, visit us at www.onangroup.com. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time.